You're listening to Travel Tales with Virgil. I don't know if you can see the Ibiza yeah. view yeah. out there, Gorgeous. but it's, yeah, it's a love, I just went for a swim in the sea this morning, so definitely still in summer mode. That voice is Dawn Hindle talking from her terrace at her home in Ibiza. Dawn is an Ibiza legend who arrived in 1994 and set up the famous Menu Mission Club Night, which put Ibiza on the world clubbing map. He then set up the Ibiza Rocks Hotel and now owns the iconic Pikes Hotel. Her story is the story of the island. She gives great Ibiza recommendations and really conjures up fond memories of summer sun, beaches, restaurants and parties to inspire your dreams of future summer travels. Hi Dawn, uh, you're very welcome Hi. to the podcast. Great to see you. Ibiza is a very special place. Like, What would you call the essence of Ibiza? Um, I think it's a sort of island of eccentrics. It's an island um, that allows self-discovery and it's an island of creativity. And it, it's a sort of platform again of people being able to discover themselves and sort of it's going back to basics in many ways. Once you get out of those sort of like hotspots of sort of tourist activity, it's um it's a very, very incredibly giving island that is natural in beauty. It's got a great light, it's got beautiful food, it's got the natural bit beauty of the beaches and the forests, and it's got a very relaxed Mediterranean vibe. You know, when I go out there now and the places I go to, the crowd have stayed with my age, you know. I, I yeah. you know, it isn't just a young place. There's great variety there, isn't there? It's a sort of place for all ages. I think it's very much it's there are very few places in the world where it actually doesn't matter about your age or what you do for a living and I think Ibiza that's one of the beauties of it um it's all about sort of you know I look at people that are still here they're very youthful in spirit and minds um compared to a lot of places where they probably grew up and came from and I think it's just the energy of the island and the 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 people that you surround yourself it's a sort of like a it's a bit of a fountain of youth and um it keeps keeps you on your toes definitely exactly what places would you recommend that you go to right i would say definitely go to salinas go to satrincha you know where you get some great djs and just a really authentic beach vibe i say go to anywhere beach on sundays for the drumming and listen to the sunset drums um which is just basically all the old hippies still go there every sunday and play to the sunset i'd say get on a boat and go to formatera and discover the beaches like going to the mediterranean it's like sorry the caribbean or the maldives mm. I would say go inland and, you know, discover some of the coastal walks because it's spectacular. Um, I would say come to Santa Gertrudis and have some tapas and, um, and some local wines. I would say definitely go and explore some of the restaurants because I think right now Ibiza is really booming as a bit of a foodie destination there's some great food here and also have a walk up into the old town you know it's a beautiful historic UNICEF world heritage site and um, gives you a real feel for the history and the heritage of the island. I don't know is it just you know the time that we're in now at the moment but I've noticed over the summer more posting about food and things like that do you think there's a be, you know, will there be maybe a little change in focus going into into the future now, do you think, in the island? Or I think so. I mean, I think, you know, it's restaurants have become the new nightclubs. It's sort of like, um, you know, there is no dancing. Dancing is outdoors in Ibiza. And so, you know, what's happened is, you know, people are very much focused on things that are allowed. Outside of your hotel, where else would you recommend? What restaurant would be your favourite in the island? Um, 
I've got a lot of favourites. I think there's a lot of amazing places. I think my ultimate favourite is La Paloma, which is in the in San Lorenzo, in the countryside, where you sit amongst the orange trees. And uh, these days, you have to book about two, three weeks in advance. So if you're coming over to Ibiza, book in advance or you won't get in. There are some incredible sea restaurants. My favourite is probably the Fish Shack, which is a tiny little shack just off Talamanca, which unfortunately didn't couldn't open this year, but it'll be back next year, which is almost like a Thai sort of on-the-beach style family-run shack. It's not even a restaurant. It doesn't have a toilet. So I would definitely say that. I would definitely go to a beach like Sacoleta and Odd something like a brilliant depeche which is a sort of local fish in saffron sauce with potatoes and you know even even some of the little local pious places where you can go and get like a traditional sort of melted cheese on tostada with olives is and a glass of red wine is just amazing somewhere like bar costa in santa gertrudas tell us um for next year for i know it's a it's a hard question to answer but do you think next summer it's hard to predict isn't it what's going to happen i suppose i think it's i mean it's very difficult i think this year was potentially the most difficult year we've ever had in ibiza definitely in the 26 years i've been here um and like the rest of the world you know it's an industry that's uh, like it's an island sorry that's reliant on tourism and and the entertainment industry which is probably the you know the the two worst hit industries in the world you know yeah. apart from the airline industry obviously i think that it'll take a while to come back from it but i think there's a lot of people thinking that it'll have reset slightly the emphasis you know and in a way it may have saved the over exploitation and commercialization of the bifa you know which a lot of people ourselves included were quite frightened of you know and i i, I was looking today at uh Seth Troxler. he's He's got a plan for April, April, May, hasn't he, next year for a weekend? He has. He's doing a party at Pites and he's doing a few other things, I think. But, you know, every year we celebrate Seth Troxler's birthday at Pites and it always ends up being a very, very um, incredibly amazing event with a lot of very very out there people and it seems to go on for two three four days and it probably takes about three months to recover from so i think you know we're aiming to have that at the beginning of the summer because unfortunately because of um the situation we couldn't do it this year and you've a lot of you know famous people that have gone through the hotel i think i on, on a podcast i was listening to you mentioned kylie minogue and grace jones yeah. was going out with yeah. tony yeah, we've got um, we've actually got um, a lot of the old photos from Tony in the hotel. We kept them all on the reception, and you know you got people like, I mean you've got bizarre ones like Zig Zig Sputnik and Bon Jovi. You've got um, Jackson Five. You've got Kylie Minogue. You've got Julio Iglesias. You've got Tony Curtis, Kylie Minogue, Naomi Campbell. Um, and then you've got the new era of sort of new celebs such as you know we've, we've had Kate Moss again Annie Temper Primal Scream you know you name it we seem to get everybody coming through the doors I saw a sign no photos no messers to paraphrase yeah and yeah. Uh, I thought it was lovely lovely sentiment that's yeah. the atmosphere I think that's it? I think that's it that's the atmosphere at Pikes it's sort of you can come in but you have to um, accept and be part of of the sort of the ethos and not judge not um i was uh, turning 50 i turned 50 during the summer so my plan was to go in september so i'm putting it i'm going to turn 50 again next summer amazing <laughs> well you know i actually hate to say it, i'm turning 50 next summer as well and as a, as are a lot of the best people obviously and um 
I had a lot of friends that were going to be 49, no, sorry, that were 49 turning 50 this summer. And I think it's going to be the biggest party of 50 year olds we've ever seen next year because they're all coming to party in Ibiza. Exactly. I, I was there for my 40th and uh, there was guys Dutch guys that were having their 50th. And I was like, yeah, I was looking at them going, I'll definitely be back for my, for my 50th. Amazing. Yeah. Amazing. Sorry, my dog, my dog's joining in the conversation. I did my, I did my, <laughs> that's okay. I did my 30th, my 25th, my 40th. So I have to do my 50th, 60th, 70th. Amazing. That's the plan. So Beeper really holds a strong place in your heart, yeah? Oh, what yeah. is it that you love about Beeper? You know, like you describe it really well. Like the word that always comes into my head is, is freedom. And, uh, you know, even when I come out of the airport, when I just getting into a taxi and the heat, you roll down the window and the heat is coming into the car. I just, mm-hmm. you know, it's kind of a, it's like an, an excitement and an energy that yeah. it's, it's got a special energy. But it was also the music. It was the Balearic beat was your constant companion wherever you went. It was every time you were in a taxi, it was the old guy in the car who would have it on or it was on in the beaches, it was on in the beach bars, it was on in the clubs, in the restaurants, everywhere you went, you were surrounded by this amazing music. So it is, it's, it's really got that magical feel. Do you stay there during the winter? Or do you... I do, yes. It definitely became home when kids um, needed to go to school. And, you know, I realised there was no better place um, to bring up children. And, you know, it's a two, two and a half hour flight away from the UK. And, it, yeah, it became my home. I, I still have a house in London and go back. Well, I was going back up until probably, you know, last December on a monthly basis. But at the moment, I've been here um, probably since January. So... Yeah. And you know what? I might be here till next January. So I might be doing a 12 month stint. But to me, I actually can't think of any better place to be locked down than Ibiza. I opened up my bar in Ireland. We were shut for six months and we opened up last week. And on our first night, we had MTV on and up pops the video for Club Tropicana. And I was just saying to my brother, and that's Pikes there. So it's funny, people in Ireland know the hotel. Anytime I say to people, the famous Club Tropicana Wham video, then they know the place. That must be the best promo video a hotel ever had. It is, it is. And I think it's, you know, it's, it's very iconic and it sort of conjures up a whole sort of holiday next to a pool with a cocktail in hand. And I think that's sort of the first thing when people walk through the doors, that's what they want. They sort of want to recreate that George Michael floating in a pool with a cocktail surrounded by beautiful people. And I think it's, you know, it's, um, it's a great sort of heritage and, and throwback to that era, really. In the video, I noticed um, Tony Pike behind the bar with, with shaking yes. cocktails. That was his starring role. That was, um, that was Tony's role within the video. And, you know, he became quite good friends with, um, definitely with George. Um, and, I, you know, I think to a lesser extent, Andrew Ridgely. And they came back quite a few times. I think his, his relationship with George developed even deeper. If anyone's read his biography, they'll know a lot more about that. But yeah, Tony was very much the host and it was his hotel at the time. You know, he built it with his own hands and it was very iconic. It was the first boutique hotel in Ibiza. Tony was very much the host. 
and he was a visionary. I mean, when you think of Pikes, it's an iconic hotel for with rock and roll history. And I suppose yes. it started with that, with, I suppose, Tony and I presume True George. Was that how Freddie Mercury ended up? Freddie Mercury is very much associated as well with the hotel and, and with Tony. He is. It's funny because I think it all stems back to a Spanish promoter who was from the mainland of Spain called Pino. And I know one summer, um, I think he was actually working with Live Nation or someone like that. And he basically wanted to bring a number of artists over to Ibiza. And this was back in the 80s. He set up an office in Pipe. And so I think it was through that relationship of him being a manager and a promoter of lots of rock and roll acts that initially got people to come over and stay at Pikes. It was like, you know, at the time it was very much, which it still is, it's like staying in a big a, a big house where you get everything on tap. And I think, you know, so it's more than just a hotel. It's a sort of home from home. And I think that's what attracted people. And I think that's why, um, you know, because one of the things that happened then and still happens is it doesn't really matter whether you're famous or not. People aren't going to pester you. And so I think a lot of these acts just felt very comfortable there and comfortable among, um, with Tony. And they had a great time. And I think that's what kept people coming back. But I think the initial link pin was Pino and his working relationship with a lot of the rock and roll acts of the time. You've really kept that tradition going, haven't you, in the hotel? Yes. Very strong. I think that was one of, you know, we, we've had the hotel for 11 years now. Next year, I'll be our 12th year. Um, we initially rented it for the first five years of Tony, then bought it later on. Uh, Tony, you know, he said to us, he sort of passed on the gauntlet because at the time we would be the rocks and we were very much about the new rock and roll, you know, so people like Tiny Temper, Primal Scream, Prodigy, Madness, um, Dizzy Rascal, Stormzy, you know, so all these people were coming through our gates and it very much represented probably in many ways a lot bigger vision than the initial one which was quite small and and intimate and it 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 was a way to continue I suppose the rock and roll heritage that Pikes had. And I saw that uh, you did some work over the before in the winter wasn't it with with Pamela's with the restaurant getting ready? We did it was very much giving us a space where we could do very intimate gigs because last year we had an amazing live session with Jarvis Cocker where he did a what in effect became a private concert for 200 people people like Roger Taylor from Queen there we had Stereophonics performed it was very much a great intimate sort of Ibiza live moment and at the time we had a giant palm tree in the middle of the restaurant and it really blocked the view and when Jarvis sang he sang to the palm tree and halfway through the through the concert he asked the crowd he sort of said I've never sang to a palm tree before and she deserves a name what's her name and so somebody threw out Pamela I think they actually said Palmyra. And, um, and so for me, it was obvious that the restaurant should, be, should actually be called Pamela. And he, you know, in true Jarvis Cocker style, sort of like gyrated his hips to the palm tree throughout the whole gig and literally sang to her. So I sort of created in my imagination this character, which is a bit of a sort of female goddess of the island. Um, that sort of represents all the strong females on the island because the island's very much dominated by the goddess Tanit, which is, which is the sort of a goddess of 
basically sex, drugs, rock and roll and partying. But from from way back, you know, hundreds and thousands of years. So so to me, it's a sort of dedication to the feminine spirit of the island, which very much sort of juxtaposed is the sort of Tony's very male period of the hotel. As you said, like the hotel's really associated with rock and roll and Freddie. The disco is called after him, isn't isn't he? It's a converted he is. his bedroom. It right. is. What it, the actual Freddy's, which are now we have people, we have a lot of incredible parties, such as our sort of signature night is Monday nights with DJ Harvey. We have artwork. We've had Jamie XS, Black Madonna, um, lots of incredible people playing there. And it's a very tiny, intimate gig. It's got the same sound system as um, DC10, which is completely out of respect. It's got a DJ box designed by DJ Harvey. It's got a, a sort of secret little door that leads through to a bar called the Potting Shed. And it very much is where Freddie Mercury had his 41st birthday party. And so in honour of that, we took it from a sort of a giant apartment, which was rented out into a very intimate, exclusive, but inclusive venue that holds about 200 people. And that party that Freddie had, you mentioned there, is is famous in rock and roll or in infamy. It was his 41st birthday, is that right? It was. He, cel- he celebrated in style his 41st birthday and that was a big event where he flew in lots of people. You know, the whole of Queen were there. There was um, a lot of, sort of Spanish royalty, all sorts of people. And he flew in a giant cake for, I think, 400 people on a private jet from Barcelona. He had, I think, 2,000 bottles of champagne. He it went on for days and you know in true sort of flamboyant freddy style it sort of set the bar for what we see as our sort of events in there so i have been going to ibiza myself for nearly 25 years and so i feel like i know you even though i've i've never actually met you the first my first time was 1996 and my second night in ibiza was at manumission so fantastic I, i was more of into indie music at the time and my I remember it's etched in my brain, my second night in manumission. DJ Alfredo, I think the main DJ, whoever was supposed to be, hadn't turned up. So Alfredo was doing the headline set. Who is a legend in, in, a, in Ibiza. He's the guy that, uh, say, all the, the UK DJs saw in the early, in the 80s, fired them to go back to the UK. But I remember being amazed because what, what Balearic Beat is famous for is like, you know, they could be playing uh, I Feel Love or Prince, Let's Go Crazy with, with dance music and all that mix. You know, it was like, you know, ravers, tourists, transvestites, you know, it was a whole, you know what I mean, which for me was like amazed. And, you know, the famous thing at Manu Mission at the pool in the middle of the dance floor. So they, what they would do is they'd have a sex show. So you can imagine like me, like a, my first proper night out in Ibiza, my first rave, you could say. And um, Mike and Claire were doing their show. And then afterwards, Claire was walking off and she saw this guy, my jaw was down. <laughs> and she, she bent over, she handed me a bottle of red wine. She had a bottle of red, so she, get, she gave me this bottle of red wine. I remember the next day waking up and my arm was bent because I'd been dancing like Bez for too long. And was, I just loved house music in Ibiza since. It like opened my eyes. Amazing. 
So it was a real baptism into the partying scene in Ibiza then. It really was. Best possible way. Yeah, it was, we arrived in 1994 on the islands and we started to do manumission in Privilege, which was, which was a giant nightclub that had just reopened. At the time, it was actually called the Coup Club and it had been closed for a number of years because the roof had actually blown off one night in a torrential storm and crushed a lot of cars in the car park no one was killed or injured but it had led to them closing for a number of years we then went into the venue a couple of years after it had reopened and it was very quiet back then it was almost like an aircraft hangar with a giant swimming pool it was a bit of a sort of disney world for adults i think we sort of saw it as and it just really sparked our imagination we'd come from Manchester where we done money mission in Manchester um, in very inner city sort of basement club and suddenly it was this giant incredible space that was very much represented the sort of freedom of the island and money mission at the time and still does I mean release from slavery so it was very much um, our perfect sort of pairing and place to sort of realize a lot of our dreams at the time. Am I right in saying it was in the Guinness Book of Records it was like the biggest weekly club in the world at the time is that right? It was it was we actually got a phone call from the Guinness Book of Records saying we've been told you are the biggest weekly club in the world are you and we said of course we are and um, in the next edition we got printed so yeah officially we were the biggest weekly club in the world we were getting 10,000 people a week through the doors and that lasted for 15 years. Manumission very much I think sort of defined an era in Ibiza it was um it was opulent it was ridiculous it had a lot of flamboyance it had so many different elements and I think one of the quotes that best sums it up for me was sort of the Guardian did a quote which said surreal clubbing for the previously disenchanted mm. and to me that sort of summed it up and it was quite a sort of epic statement that we tried to sort of live up to every week for those 15 years. I always think back to there was a scene and I think it was a beat uncovered where Andy was talking and then someone comes up or a walkie talkie says there's a fire going on you know what it's like working in a, in a nightclub or such a, you know yes. you're talking to someone and you know that behind the door there's there's some chaos going on somewhere else. Yeah. I could relate yeah. to that. I mean, it must have been. <laughs> well, it was, a, yeah. I mean, that was, could have been disastrous because obviously a fire, we, it was a, something happened. I think it was some sort of fire show because some curtain set fire. Everybody actually stood there and thought it was part of the show. So, you, you know, that could have been very disastrous. I mean, luckily it's a very big space and it had a lot of emergency exits. And the only person that actually was slightly injured was a guy called Elliot Cox, who was working for us, who had some sort of heroic moment where he decided to clamber up the curtain and release it so no one would get hurt. And, um, and I think he broke his ankle. But apart from that, no one was hurt. It was fine. But yeah, that's like your worst nightmare when you're being filmed on being one of your busiest nights, walk into the venue. Because I was with Andy at that moment moment walk into the venue on a walkie-talkie or mic'd up and see the club on fire I mean it was couldn't have been much worse but luckily uh, we'd forged quite a long like a strong relationship with them and they weren't in it to sort of stitch us up and you know there was no disaster and it was all okay but yeah could have gone very differently well, that period the menu mission time must have been a wild time or, or tiring I mean I remember yeah. being in a beta many times and being in Bora Bora and maybe two yes. days later you'd see the, the crew 
you know, the day after the day after. Yeah, yeah, that was, uh, we had the, it wasn't a sort of, a manumission, I think, start, well, really it started at three in the morning, you know, it would open its doors at, at I think it was 12 or one, but, but no one would really get there till three if you were in the know, and you'd sort of go there, and then we'd be open until, probably till almost 11 midday, we'd close, we'd go to, we'd go to um, Plaid uh, and Bossa, we'd have lunch with all the artists and all the dancers then we'd go over to carry on at space we do carry on at space until way into the afternoon and then we'd leave carry on at space and go over to Bora Bora and then it'd be sort of last man standing and then we'd probably go to bed wake up and do it all again it was a sort of um it was a, yeah quite a few years of just sort of incredibly fun groundhog day i think and you you uh, made the kind of a left turn then you went to a beat the rocks isn't that right and yeah what we did we just got really i wouldn't say bored but we just felt what we were doing with manumission had run its course and it was sort of time for a new era and musically especially we there was a lot of great music coming through and manumission wasn't the place or had the means to showcase it so we set up me and andy at this moment we were sort of going our separate ways mike and claire um, and as we were arguing quite a lot and just wanted different things, which is normal after 15 years of working together with family. And so we split off and we did Ibiza Rocks, which was sort of our baby. And that was all about bringing great live music to the island, an island of dance. You know, that was the one thing you, you described there about manumission at three in the morning. You know, you brought um, activity earlier in the evening. Yes. The island has yeah. been going in that direction since, you know, isn't that true? Yeah, we brought... We bought a lot of theatre. We bought a lot of, um, we, we, one year we brought the cast of Delaguarda. They stayed for a couple of years. We worked with Mark Fisher, who was an incredibly talented um, set designer. We went to um, Cuba and recruited Cuban acrobats and dancers. Um, you know, we were very much a, I think we saw it as a piece of installation art that sort of crossed over into theatre. And it was all about um, experiential sort of like, discovery and it, it was just very much we were sort of living out our sort of fantasies and dreams I think. And was there any gigs that particularly stand out? I remember us getting I remember Puff Daddy coming with a giant entourage and telling us he wanted to perform for us so we had a guy called Connor who played the saxophone so he went man I'll go out and I'll do I'll play the saxophone and as he was walking out we said can you actually play the saxophone he said no not at all so <laughs> he went out with his mouth on the saxophone and Connor with his arms around him and Connor and him basically jointly played the saxophone. Um, so that was quite an iconic sort of moment. Puff Daddy playing the sax for the first time. On, I think, you know, some of the great DJs like um, Norman Cook playing in the toilets and handing out a toilet roll. I remember the sort of end of nights with all the sort of fellow Ibiza workers in the back room when everyone else had gone home. You know, I think there's lots and lots of great moments. And that's sort of, I'd say, one of my memories of Ibiza was Norman playing in Bora Bora and it was a few days after the Olympics so he'd done that huge gig in the Olympics and yeah. it was about three or four days later and he was in Bora Bora and there was only 20 or 30 people dancing away and it was very relaxed and it kind of summed up Ibiza I thought that magical atmosphere yeah. that it has. Yeah. Something I think it does and that's you know that's part of what we've taken through into um, pipes because I think what you do when you do businesses you always you know you always keep hold and you sort of backpack all the great little bits that work and you bring them they come back throughout your career and 
throughout things you do they're reference points in a way and I think you know that is part of what's um, really influenced Freddie's a lot you know those very very intimate great incredible DJs that you would never get in small spaces almost like a sort of back to mind vibe yeah and you know what that's the other thing that what I love what you're doing with Pikes I'd call it the authentic Ibiza you know say I've grown up over those 25 years and I've seen Ibiza changed in some ways and the atmosphere and the the way you, the parties that you organise, I think you've kept that authentic Ibiza. And I think that's key to us, everything we do. I mean, if you looked at a sort of blueprint for any brand or anything that we're doing, authenticity has always got to be at the core. And, you know, if you go on holidays then, where do you go off the island? Um, I think, uh, you know, for, for quite a long time, my favourite place to holiday was either New York or L.A., um, just to get that sort of city vibe. Um, I now, I would say the last, probably the last six times I've been away, um, I've been to the Joshua Tree in California. I love the desert, but I normally try and go for a city vibe because obviously I've got the beach and the, and the sunshine. So normally it's all about culture, the buzz of the city, I would say. And did I see with, you went to Tokyo with DJ Harvey? Was that, was that I last did year? go to Tokyo. Yeah, I went to t- Tokyo with DJ Harvey, which was absolutely amazing. I co- and th- there was no better person to go to Tokyo with because he's been going for 35 years. So wow. we really got into the nitty gritty of the culture of Japanese in Tokyo and how incredibly just incredibly detailed it is as a culture and so I suppose the simplicity but also you know what you realize once you go with someone that really knows the city um, is that a lot of it is above head it's all a high rise you know and most of the best bars and little spots you wouldn't even know you were there unless someone took you to them and so we would go into giant sort of like what looked like blocks of housing and then you'd have the most incredible listening bar with um, the best musical selection. And also the scale, everything's tiny. In, everything's tiny from the people to the, the beds, you know. I'm five foot three and I think my, my legs were hanging off the end. And um, it was just, yeah, it was an incredible experience, which I'd love to go back for. I've been to Tokyo and I remember going to, into one bar and there was like a, you know, four Japanese guys, but sounded exactly like the Beatles. There were Beatles covers band, yeah. but they sounded exactly mm. like the Beatles. Or another time being up in a high rise doing karaoke or it's amazing experience there, isn't it? It's a real cultural. Yeah, shop. it is. And I think it's so big and so fast. I don't think you could ever see everything you wanted to see. You know, when we first got there, we went up to, I think it's, there's a giant lookout tower. I don't know whether it's like a government building or a postal building. And we just looked at the scale of the city. I always tend to like to do that when I get somewhere to just sort of work out what we're dealing with. And just realise, you can see Mount Fuji in the distance. And, you know, I just realised it was a city that you'd never fully, like, understand or get to see. But I think going with Harvey definitely gave us a sort of fast pass. To, to really experience in there. I'm truly grateful for that. And 100% would love to go back as soon as I can. And was he doing a gig or was it a, just a He trip? was doing a gig and we actually went to the gig. It was so funny because what you realise, I don't know whether you noticed this, but Japanese people just fall asleep everywhere. They are like literally tired. 
because I think they work so hard and they drink so much. You notice if you went in the little supermarkets, it'd be full of like disposable shirts, ties and pants so that they could change into them to go to work. And we went into the nightclub and there was about 20 people sleeping in one area and the bouncers trying to wake them up because they're obviously, it's almost like they want to pack everything in. And, um, and, and on the tubes, the metros or whatever you call it over there, people would just be sleeping, st- standing up. That was one of the things that really grabbed me. But the nightclub was, it was amazing. It was actually the only place that I saw quite a few or, or talked to a few Westerners. So obviously he'd had a massive pull, not only with the Japanese, but anybody from around the world that was actually in Tokyo at that moment. And it was a great little club and they really looked after us. And yeah, it was, it was really great to experience. I remember when I was there, it was like a business trip. I worked in a software company at the time. So we had a big night out with the Japanese guys. And then the next day they were coming in, disleveled into the meeting and practically falling yeah. asleep at the board table. Yeah. You know, say, sleep. Eva, I couldn't believe it. <laughs> I know. It seems to be a really cultural accepted thing to do. Yeah. It's so strange. I mean, people live in very tiny spaces and they... They just seem to spend a lot of time working and yeah, it's just, I I just could not believe how many people I found asleep everywhere, everywhere you went. (laughs) You were talking with DJ Harvey. He does Monday nights with you, the Mercury Rising. And um, Mercury Rising. He's the most amazing DJ, the most eclectic music. Yeah. And it all works, you know, when he puts music together, it's quite amazing. It's, um, I think it, what is amazing about Harvey is it's a sort of experiential journey, which not many people do anymore. And it is, you know, he plays for us for 12 hours solid. So he starts the night, he finishes the night. If he feels like people have been on the dance floor too long and he needs to clear them, he puts something on to sort of actively clear the dance floor, which I've never seen a DJ do before in my life. And um, he builds it up again. And I think he literally only plays amazing music that he loves he doesn't play it for the crowd he plays it because he loves the tracks and he's got the biggest musical collection I think probably of any DJ and Heidi is manager you know who's a great DJ as well Um, as as informed me he's got warehouses for. Dawn I've really enjoyed talking to you and my last question that I ask everybody is if you close your eyes and take four deep breaths allow yourself to think of your happy place, where would that be? Mm, That happy place would 100% be on the beach, listening to the waves in Ibiza. So I'm quite lucky. I think I've found and managed to live in my happy place. (laughs) Yes, exactly. Um, I really appreciate it. Thanks very much, Dawn. Thank you. That was lovely to hear Dawn's Ibiza stories and I really hope we get to meet up next summer. I really recommend you follow Dawn on Instagram at Dawn Hindle and also at Pikes Ibiza. I would ask you to please subscribe on Apple Podcast so a new episode will appear in your library every week. I would also really appreciate if you could leave a rating and review as it helps others to discover this podcast. To find out who's on every Tuesday, please follow me on Instagram and Facebook at Travel Tales with Fergal. Finally, I'm delighted to say I have a new feature called Expat Lives, and the first one is on this Thursday with Irish journalist Philip O'Connor, who lives in Sweden. People who listen to The Stand will know his COVID reports from there. And you know, being an expat living in a country for 20 years, 
what do, uh, do you feel Irish still or as an Irish like an Irish person living in Sweden or do you feel like part of the country now or how does that work I've never lived it's in for so long yeah, no, it's, it's one of those huge sort of debates. It's a philosophical discussion you have with yourself the whole time, right? So my wife is Swedish. She was born and raised here. She went to school here, lived in Ireland for a few years. So it's one of those discussions that I've had with myself over a long time. Is who am I now? You know, in what way have I changed? And they always said to me, would you not get a Swedish passport? You know, because, you know, when you're traveling as well, sometimes the Irish passport is good. Sometimes the Swedish passport is better. And for many years, I was saying, you know, well, why am I, you know, I don't feel Swedish in that way, you know? I don't, I, I understand that I'm a part of this country and this part of the country is a part of me, but I don't know, we're brought up in a way and with sort of a closeness to our history that a lot of countries don't have. I think a lot of former colonies have that sort of closeness to their history just because of the pain of it, because it takes, you know, so long to work that away, that sense of inferiority, that the sense of pride of, of what you have and what you do hold, which is that harp on the passport, becomes very important to you. Travel Tales with Virgo.